Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Freeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. And of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC 261, an absolute banger of a card with three title fights at the top. But for those of you who know this show and who frequent this show, you know we're not going to be breaking down any of those title fights. No, 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 no. This is the prelim primer. We are only going to be breaking down the prelim portion of the card. Now, for those of you who might not be a familiar face around these parts, you might be new to the show, you're probably asking yourself, why not break down the title fights? Why not break down the exciting fights that everybody's clamoring for, paying the big bucks to watch, or at least paying the big bucks to stream? Uh, <laughs> the answer is really simple. It's that we know that you know who Jorge Masvidal is, who Kamara Usman is, who Rose Namajunas is, who Valentina Shevchenko and Wei Li Zhang and Jessica Andrade are. You know those fighters, but you probably don't know a lot of these names on the prelims. And that's where there's tons of money to be won, whether you're gambling, playing daily fantasy sports, or hey, maybe you're just playing a pick'em contest and you'd like to win that too. Speaking of pick'em contest, I would be remiss if I did not mention that this episode of the Prelim Primer is brought to you by Fanatics MMA. Fanatics MMA is the most comprehensive MMA pick app that exists today. They've got fighter bios, records, odds, all in the palm of your hand while you're making your picks. Plus, let me tell you something. I love the scoring system because they use the Vegas odds to show you how well you're doing. It creates almost like a little fighter IQ score. It's brilliant. You're going to want to check it out because, you know, hey, you're sick of guys winning your, your pick'em contest with just, you know, going chalk the whole time. You don't want guys going chalk the whole time. Fanatics MMA makes sure that guy doesn't win. So I highly encourage you to download the app wherever it is that you download apps and make sure you listen on later in the show where you can find out how you can play against me and see my picks week to week. Now, in order to break down these fights that I have promised you I'm going to break down, I have to have a savvy co-host joining me today. You can find all of his work on YouTube at Ryan Jarrell Sports. It is, of course, that name itself, Ryan Jarrell. Ryan, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, always a pleasure. Happy to be back. All right. And as you guys know, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Cowboy Oliveira versus Randy Brown. So Oliveira had a two-fight win streak. He recently lost that by getting guillotine choked by uh, Shavkat Rachmanov back in October. Randy Brown, meanwhile, also was on a two-fight winning streak, but he lost to Vicente Luque back in August. So uh, both guys coming off the two-fight win streaks lose their last one. My question for you is that Randy Brown has got this kind of interesting style. He's really long, but he likes to mix in enough wrestling that, that kind of keeps people on their toes. And, and against a guy like Cowboy Oliveira, it's probably the best way to stay away from his hands. Can he do it successfully enough to really stalemate out that striking of, of Cowboy Oliveira? You know, I, I wish I could give you like a legitimate answer and say, you know, yay or nay here. But I, I don't know. If I was a betting man, this is a fight I'd stay away from. I can see either of these guys winning the fight. I mean, look, they're both highly skilled, well-rounded fighters, veterans, and, you know, they can close the show in, in the blink of an eye. I, I'm not so certain that, that Randy Brown can can do what you said. Uh, you know, that's the question here in this fight. I mean, Oliveira, he's two and four in his last six, and this is a big fight for him. Like, I'm not sure where his contractual contractual status with the UFC stands, but like, he needs to go in and win this fight. And Randy Brown, um, as you said too, coming off uh, you know a loss. I mean, Vicente Luque, no no shame in losing to that guy, but this is just a really really interesting fight where you know their styles potentially could wash one another out. 
Uh, I'm really not sure where to go from here. I, I really, I think it could go either way. Yeah. And I think you're right about like both guys just being able to close it whenever it makes it so hard to call, right? Because not only can both guys close it whenever both guys have had a tendency to get closed whenever too, right? Like you could say Randy Brown went out there and finished Brian Barberena, which is incredible. He went out there and triangle choked Wardley Alves again, incredible victory. But he also got knocked out by Nico Price while he was on top. Right? Like that that's the craziest thing in the whole world. And you could say the same thing about Cabo Oliveira, right? Like yeah, he doesn't have a ton of finishes lately, but if you go back, you know, he guillotined, you know, Carlos Conde, he knocked out Carlo Pedersoli, but also, you know, he got choked out by Gunnar Nelson. He got choked out by Shavkat Rachmanov. So, yeah, it, it's a weird fight. I will say you know, Randy Brown being able to take down Vicente Luque even once, being able to take down Worley Alves even once, taking down Nico Price definitely gives me a good feeling against Cowboy Oliveira, who, you know, that's why Cowboy Oliveira lost to Nicholas Dalby. You know, I guess that's almost two years ago now or a year and a half ago now, but that's why he lost him. It's why he should have lost to Max Griffin in that split decision that he, he wound up getting the nod in. So, I think I'm comfortable enough with Randy Brown's wrestling that I'm going to give him this one by decision. Uh, gun to your head, which one do you take in this fight? I'm probably going to lean with you there. I mean, Randy Brown is is a significant favorite in this fight. I, I'm not quite sure I agree with those odds. I, I do feel like it's going to be a close fight. I definitely think it's going to go to the judges' scorecards, and you just never know who's going to win if it goes to the judges' scorecards these days. Uh, but I, I do think maybe Randy Brown is just a little bit more – uh, stronger, uh, you know, in, in the clinch, that might make the difference. So I'll, I'll lean with you on this one, say Randy Brown. All right. And that brings us to a second fight, which is also a very hard one to call. And that's Dwight Grant versus Stefan Sekulik. So Grant also, like the first two people we mentioned, was on a two-fight win streak. And then he followed that up with a loss to Daniel Rodriguez back in August. Again, no shame in losing to a guy like Daniel Rodriguez. Stefan Sekulik, meanwhile, lost his UFC debut to Ramazan Amiev all the way back in September of 2018. He's been on the shelf since then, so he hasn't fought in, you know, two and a half years, largely due to Yasada suspension. So, you know, he pops hot and all of a sudden we don't see him for two years. So I guess we have to start by breaking down Grant because it's hard to break down Sekulik and all of this being that we haven't seen him in so long. He had that crazy fight with Daniel Rodriguez where he basically won the fight and it didn't get stopped. And then he got stopped 30 seconds later. Does a fight like that give you more excitement for his next one? Or does it give you more pause in thinking about even picking him? Man, I think you could you could see it both ways. I, I mean, D Dwight Grant, that that loss to Rodriguez. I mean, you, you got to stay focused. You got to stay dialed in, and you know that's something where you're at the highest of levels. Where if if you make one mistake, uh, night night, you know the show's over. So uh, it, this is going to be a, another really close, interesting matchup. Uh, you know, one thing that stands out for me is uh, Sukulik. He lost that uh, that UD to uh, Ramazan Amiv, and I think about you know styles and matchups and MMA math is always isn't the, the same, you know, fight to fight, but you know, uh, Amiv lost to, to Rocco Martin, a guy that, that I know pretty well, who I have a lot of respect for, uh, no longer in the UFC, unfortunately, but I, I look at that and then I, and I look at, you know, Dwight Grant and what, where his skill set's good at. He lost a split decision to, to Zach Otto, a guy that's very similar to uh, Amiv, you know, wrestling base, you know, they're going to trap you up against the cage and, and clinch with you and dirty box and, and use their, their physicality to wear on you. And this is just going to be, I, I feel like a similar fight 
to 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 that one. Um, I, I think Dwight Grant on the feet has some more tools, so I am leaning towards him in, in, in this fight. But I mean, as you alluded to earlier, you just you just never know. I mean, if if the guy's not going to keep his head on straight the the whole time, this could be a problem for him, and and he could uh, he could get finished. Yeah, and I would say too, it seems like a problem for him if he can't keep his head on straight against a guy like Sakulik, who, you know, you mentioned he got beat by a grinder in Ramazan Amiyev, but he also is kind of that style himself, you know, and it's part of why, you know, as you alluded to, MMA math never, you know, all that great, because the the problem with this is, is I think he actually lost to Amiyev because he met a guy who's a similar style to him, you know, like, he, he's got good single leg takedowns, he runs the pipe well, uh, he takes the back well, and if Grant gets a little wild, I, I can see that spelling problems for him, so, yeah, I, I guess the question is, is is he composed enough to win this one? And that's when I have to ask for your prediction. Yeah, I, I do think he's going to be composed enough to win this one. Look, he trains at AKA, one of the best gyms in the world. Uh, and if he has Habib in, in his in his camp helping him, uh, you know that he's going to be dialed in and focused. Uh, so I, I am leaning with Grant. I, I do think that he has some dynamic striking, and um, I, I think he's going to uh, do what his his nickname says and uh, catch a body in this one. <laughs> I like that, but I'm actually going to differ with you on this one. I like Sakulik even on the two year layoff, which is you know again a mammoth layoff. But I just think the stylistic matchup and the fact that, you know, uh, maybe Dwight Grant gets a little wild here might play into his hand. So I'm going to take Sakulik. I'm going to take him by rear naked choke. I'm going to go out on a limb here and and say he gets the sub. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with round number two. All right, guys, I mentioned at the top of the show that you can challenge me with your picks on Fanatics MMA after you've downloaded the app. So if you have downloaded the app already, or hey, even if you haven't, I'm going to encourage you to go to the Top Turtle MMA Twitter or Instagram page right now. I'll stop a second so that you can do that. All right, you did it? Cool. Excellent. Now that you've logged in and you've hit that app, go ahead and click the little bio link right there. Once you click it, you'll see a play with us on Fanatics MMA. Once you click that, boom, you're in. Now you can download the app. Now you can join our group. Now you can see precisely what Gumby's picks are each and every week. You don't you don't have to just listen to me and think that I'm brilliant every single time. You can prove that you're smarter than me on Fanatics MMA. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Carl Baby K. Roberson versus Brendan Allen. So, Roberson, another guy who had a two-fight win streak, he lost to Marvin Vittori back in June, which, as we see now, no shame in that either. Brendan Allen, he was on a three-fight winning streak before losing to Sean Strickland back in November. Sean Strickland now in the top 15 of the UFC rankings as well. So they both lost to, to highly touted guys here. My question for you is that Brendan Allen seems to get it all done on the mat. He seems to have a great submission grappling game, and when Sean Strickland stuffed that, he almost seemed like he was out of ideas. So here's my question. Is Roberson also the type of guy who can stop that and, you know, basically knock him out or keep him on the feet so that he looks out of his element? Well, I, I, I think it's definitely possible. I, I will say I, I just spoke with Brendan Allen. I've been interviewing this guy for years. Uh, he made the move to Sanford MMA, and he's told me he's, his game is really evolving. So um, I, he's, he also has said to me before that people don't realize just how strong his hands are, how quick his hands are. He doesn't feel like he gets enough credit for it. So this could be a case where you know maybe we see a, an evolved stand-up game at a, at a Brendan Allen. Um, look, the, the loss to Sean Strickland, it was a little 
surprising. Um, but I, I don't feel like he was where he needed to be mentally and physically for that fight. I'm not making any excuses for the guy, but I mean, Brendan Allen, someone that beat Kevin Holland. Uh, if you look back a couple of years ago, I mean, he also had that win over Kyle Dacus, who I'm, I'm really high on. And uh, also, what was it? Uh, Aaron Jeffrey at, at Dana White's contender series. That's a guy who will be in the UFC one day. This guy's a stud. Uh, so I, I, I think that Allen has the pers- perfect recipe to go in there and, and get the win, whether it is on the feet or on the ground. Uh, the thing that's concerning to me is 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 there going to be a big size difference here? Now, Allen is big for the division. He's tall. He's long. But, I mean, Robertson fighting up at light heavyweight, I mean, geez, he's, he's fighting guys like Glover Teixeira and Cesar Ferreira. You know what I mean? He's got big wins over Ryan Spann and Darren Stewart. So this guy is no joke. Like, he's he, he is strong a, a, as they come. And, and it's going to be a really interesting test for Brendan Allen. Um, if he can get past this test, you know, then maybe we can see uh, if, if he can crack that top 15. But this is a fight that I'm really, really intrigued about, and I, I, I really can see it going either way. Uh, I am leaning towards, and I might be sounding like a little bit of a homer because I, I, I do, you know, I feel like I have a little bit of a relationship with him just from interviewing him. But Brendan Allen, man, I, I think he's going to get the job done. Uh, if he doesn't, um, there's going to be some serious questions he's going to have to to dig in and, and figure out, you know, what he needs to do to improve. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't think you're being too much of a homer either, too, because I, I, I don't interview him very often, and I would say I still really like him in this fight because, you know, sort of like you said, he, I love the fact that he's training at Sanford MMA. That's news information to me, and I think that's a perfect fit for him because it's going to help him work out the parts of his game where he needs to get the fight to the ground. And if he gets it to the ground here, I think he's going to have no problems. I think he's going to pick up the submission win, um, and that's how I'm going to take him in this one. And that brings us to our next one, which is Pat Sabatini versus Tristan Connolly. Sabatini, 13-3, making his UFC debut. He last fought for CFFC back in December, where he won their featherweight belt. Tristan Connolly beat Michelle Pereira on short notice in September of 2019. He has had a lot of things that have popped up in his life that have stopped him from his comeback. He's making that comeback after a year and a half. And coming down two weight classes, from welterweight to his natural lightweight, all the way down to a brand new weight class of featherweight, so I guess my question to you here is that, you know, they're both kind of wrestler types, right? Like they both use their endurance and their tough wrestling. But how do you feel that that works when you have a guy like Connolly who we have no idea on how this looks with, with him coming down two weight classes? Well, this this is actually his his natural weight class. I just spoke to him about a week and a half ago, and it, let's just first talk about how impressive it was to beat Michelle Pereira at 170 pounds. Like if you've seen that guy fight, super dynamic, super crazy. I mean, just a, a very dangerous fight for for anyone because he's got a ton of power. And and Connolly went in there at 170 pounds and beats this guy. His his UFC debut. I mean, coming out of nowhere. And I mean, 145 pounds is is the weight class he always intended on fighting at and he didn't even hesitate to take the fight he's like i don't care about the size difference i got the skill set to beat this guy and the thing about this fight with sabatini that Connolly told me is this is going to be a war of attrition he we're going to find out and, and he said that their styles are very similar 
he, but he thinks that he's better against the cage. This is not going to be the most exciting fight, I, I, I don't imagine. I think you're going to see a lot of clinch work against the cage, a lot of dirty boxing, a lot of wrestling. Uh, you know, who's going to be who's going to be quicker? Who's going to be better in those scrambles? Who's going to be controlling the position? Is who's going to win this fight? And Pat Sabatini, this is a guy who uh, the CFFC 145 pound champion. I mean, you go back to earlier on in his career, he's got big wins over Tony Gravely and Demond Blackshear. So this guy is legit and and Connolly, i'm just super excited for this fight because after watching what he did to michelle Pereira, i i just feel like this is a guy that everything's clicking for him right now he started his mma professional career at five and five he's now 14 and six now i'm not a math whiz but he's doing pretty good as of late so something has has really changed for him and um if i'm not mistaken i believe he never even took one amateur fight he jumped straight into the, the professional ranks so basically those first 10 fights of his career were like you know his his amateur fights so so to speak so this guy really is exciting um he's he's super uh, aggressive smart and a, a technical fighter that i i just i don't think he's going to lose this fight but sabatini is very tough so it's going to be interesting to see especially what happens on the cage yeah, I agree. I, I think this fight takes place in the cage. I think, unfortunately, it is going to be one of the ones that fans in the stands are not going to appreciate as much as I do as somebody who likes cage craft and grappling and stuff like that. But uh, I think your, your breakdown is 100% correct. I think Tristan Connolly is probably a little stronger, probably a little bit more technical in the wrestling game. I think Sabatini might have a submission advantage, but the problem is, is like, then that becomes his avenue to victory. So for that reason, I'm also going to lead Connolly. I'm going to say he gets it done by decision here. And that brings us to our last fight of the second round, which is Dana Bakgarel versus Kevin Natividad. So Bakgarel lost his UFC debut to Haile Alatang. He came back to beat Guido Canetti by violent KO back in March. Kevin Natividad, meanwhile, got knocked out by Miles Johns in his December debut to the UFC. That was his only fight in the UFC so far. So I guess what I'm going to say here is, you know, that last fight we talked about being maybe one that's got a lot of cage craft, one that's got a little bit of grappling in it, one that's got maybe a couple of submission attempts. I think this one is going to be bonkers fireworks for, for as long as it lasts. Who do you got if this does turn into just a firefight? Man, oh man, I, I flip a coin. I'm not so sure. I mean, both of these guys can close the show. I mean, Natavi Dodd has six finishes uh, and uh, Dana has five. I mean, so they're they're both capable of finishing the fight. Um, you know, what, what Dana did at UFC 248 with that big left hook win over uh, Guido Canetti was very, very impressive. So I'm probably going to lean towards him because that's what I saw in the UFC. I mean, losing to Miles Johns in the third round. I mean, hey, look, Miles Johns is, is a stud, so you, you really can't hang your head there. And Natavidad, he actually beat Kai Kamaka, another fellow UFC fighter, as an amateur. So he definitely has the pedigree to go in there and get the job done. Uh, but at the end of the day, I am going to lean towards Dana. Uh, a guy out of Jackson Wink who um, really, I think, has a, a solid skill set, whether it's on the feet or on the ground. Um, so I am going to lean there. But this is this is some a fight that I'd stay away from if I was a betting man because it could go either way. Yeah, and I agree with you. I'm going to take Baccarell here, too. I like his training situation. I like the fact that he has like an 100 fight kickboxing background before getting to the UFC. And I think for a guy like you know, Kevin Natividad, he is going to have a striking advantage over quite a few guys in the UFC, uh, especially at the lower levels. I just don't think this is one of them. So yeah, I'm going to take Bakarel and I'm going to say it gets wild quick and it also ends quick and I'll take him by first round knockout. And that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with round number three. 
Alright guys, now that you're in my group on Fanatics MMA, which by the way, I appreciate you joining, it, it's not just looking at my picks every single week, they've got awesome features on there. You can play against me, some of the names you hear on the show, but there's also a chat function. You know, maybe you're sick of, of not having people to sit next to you and watch the fights. Maybe MMA Twitter is a little bit too toxic for you. Maybe your significant other hates listening to you talk about fighting and hates fighting. If that's the case, get that negativity out of here and come chat with the people who love the sport as much as you do and get in on the fun at Fanatics MMA. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Kazula Vargas versus Rong Zhu. So, Kazula Vargas, 0-2 in the UFC. Uh, he last lost to Brock Weaver, but to be fair, he was winning that fight and he landed an illegal knee. That was back in February. He's been gone for a year. Rong, meanwhile, 17-3 making his debut. He comes from WLF, which you'll see as a theme of this round, uh, where he racked up 10 straight wins, including 4 straight finishes. My question to you, Rong Zhu is just 21 years old. He's already got 20 pro fights. There's not a ton of film out there on him, but what can you tell folks about what you found about Rong Zhu? <laughs> well, uh, so 17 and three is his record. All 17 of his wins, except for one, are by way of finish. So this guy comes in and closes the show. Um, he's he's three inches taller than Vargas. Uh, he's got a longer reach than Vargas, and he likes to finish. So this is a very, very dangerous fight for a guy that's 0-2 in the UFC. Uh, granted, Brock Weaver and Alex Da Silva, no, no shame in losing to either one of them. But this is a dangerous fight. I think the question here is that the level of competition that, that Rong has been facing, um, you know, because really it doesn't matter where you are. If you're not in the UFC, you're not at, at the top of the, the, the heap. You know what I mean? So uh, we're going to find out just how good Rong is here against Vargas, a guy that does have a win over Jordan Williams earlier in his career. Um, I do. I am excited about this kid. I, I think that uh, the UFC uh, is strategic with their matchmaking uh, a lot. And I think this is a, a kid that really could help grow um, the excitement for the sport uh, over there um, in China. So uh, I do think Zhu is, is going to get the, the win here. I mean, he, he finishes fights. Uh, he's got 16 of them. And I think he's going to get a 17th one. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I'm going to take him by finish here, but I will say this. As a as a notice of caution before you throw Rong Zhu in your DraftKings lineups or before you drop, dump a bunch of money on him as a huge favorite, I will say he is 21 and he comes out crazy fast. He comes out trying to finish the fight in the first five seconds every single time. And for me, that's just a little alarming because when you get to the big show, you know, what's plan B when it doesn't work? You know, we saw this a while ago with a guy like Max Roshkoff, who is used to trying to sub everybody in 30 seconds. And when it didn't work, I mean, he quit on the stool in the second round. And, you know, I'm not saying that Rong Zhu is exactly that, but we always have to be careful for 21-year-old prospects who come out crazy. So, yeah, I'm going to take Rong Zhu by knockout here, um, but with the little caveat that we should be worried about a 21-year-old who's really, you know, not faced the highest level of competition. Yeah, great point. And that brings us to our second fight, which is Lang Aori versus Jeff Molina. Aori, 18-6, making his debut. He's also from WLF, the Chinese promotion. He's got six straight wins, including four finishes in that span. And he's going to be fighting Jeff Molina, who's 8-2, making his debut. He, of course, beat Jacob Silva in August on Contender Series to get that contract. Um, so my, my question here is that... I'm going to start with Molina. Molina brings a lot of volume, a real lot of volume. In that Contender Series fight, I believe he landed over six strikes a minute or close to it. But my question is, is how does that affect him against a guy like Aori who, who can take him down a little bit? And could that cost him here? 
I mean, it could, but I, I'm really high on, on all these guys training at Glory MMA, and I've heard great things about Jeff Molina. Uh, impressive win at, at Contender Series over Jacob Silva. Um, this this is a kid that really is uh, tough as as they come. So um, I, I'm not super familiar with Aori. Again, as you said, a UFC debut. Uh, the measurables are, are pretty much the same. I mean, they're an inch apart. Uh, their reach is the same. So I, I really feel like the, the better conditioned athlete might be the one that that wins this one i don't really expect a you know a highlight real finisher a knockout here i feel like this really could be a grinder of a fight one that goes the distance but um i based on what i know i'm gonna lean towards the glory mma fighter jeff molina i did like what i see uh, what i saw at contender series and uh look when you got james kraus and all the killers over there um at glory uh, in your corner that's that's nice to have that you know ear um you know, helping you uh, coach through a fight um, at at the highest of levels. Yeah. And I'm going to go Molina as well. I I think the tough thing here is that, yeah, like Aori in my brief amount of research does look like he can wrestle a little bit, but he also does look like he gets tired late. And and like you said, guys out of glory MMA fitness do not get tired, right? Like somehow, somehow James Cross finds a new level for them in round three. We saw that with Grant Dawson recently. So yeah, I, I like Molina here for those reasons. I think his gas tank is good enough. It holds up, uh, and, and he wins probably the second and third round here. It takes a decision. And that brings us to our very last fight, which is Naliang versus Ariane Carlosi. Carlosi lost to Angela Hill in her September 2019 debut. Hasn't fought since. Na, meanwhile, is 15-4 and four making her debut. She's also out of WLF. As I said, it was going to be a theme in this round. She's won four straight, all finishes, and the last two were arm bars, actually. So... She actually said, I was listening to an interview with John Hyung Kyo, where she says she likes herself to, to, to Ronda Rousey, which obviously she's coming off of two fun submission wins. Uh, you know, she looked damn good on the mat in both of those. Is this a good type of opponent where you're going to want to go in with that Ronda Rousey-esque style where you just want to get it to the mat right away? Look, I'm huge on Nia Liang. I think that this girl could be a, a star. Um, 15 and four, every single win, she got a finish. And you think about the, the, the difference in size in this fight. She, Liang is five foot nine. Ariana's five foot two. That's an enormous difference. And then the reach, you look over at Liang, she's 67.3 to 61.5. Of, of Ariane. So this is a, a massive size difference. I, I was blown away when, when I, when I saw that. And I think this is really going to play a factor here in this fight. If Nia wants to keep the fight on the feet, I think she has the ability to do that, you know, with, with her jab and her reach to be able to keep her opponent at bay. And then, you know, if she, if she is against the cage, uh, you know, I, I feel like th- that size difference, um, and there's gotta be a strength difference there uh, to, to, to match it, um, is going to play a huge factor here. I mean, granted, both of Ariane's losses are to a, a couple of veteran, you know, stud fighters and Amanda Hibas and Angela Hill, but, you know, I'm I'm really excited for for Nia Liang here in this fight. Um, I think the UFC is is excited for her, and and if I'm not mistaken, this will be the fight that kicks off the, the card. So a lot of times they do that to really promote someone, and I think it's Nia Liang. Yeah, I agree with you entirely, and I love the point you made about the size difference because for me, I think she wants this on the mat, and the fact that she's got a, a large advantage in size and reach on the feet is what's going to make it easy to come there. Because Carnalosi is going to have to come forward kind of wildly in order to make sure that she gets on the inside, she lands the punches she's going to be looking for. 
And as a result, I think it's really easy to counter that, right? Like, she's going to have to be a little overly aggressive. I think that that plays right into Naliang's hands, and she winds up probably getting the takedown and the submission fairly early. I think you said it at the very beginning of this round where it seems like the UFC has guys that they like and who they would like to, you know, uh, these guys are going to make leeway for them in China, which is a huge market for them. And, and Rong Zhu and Na Liang, I, I think are two people who they've set up with very nice stylistic matchups here. I think this one's perfect for her. She gets the early sub and she kicks the night off right. And that's going to do it for the end of our third round. We are now done with all of these prelim fights, all eight of them. In just a little bit over 15 minutes, we hope you guys learned something. Hope you guys got a little bit of a breakdown and a sense of who these people are. I once again want to thank my co-host, Ryan Jarrell. You can catch him on his YouTube channel with all kinds of exclusive interviews. That's Ryan Jarrell Sports on YouTube. Ryan, thanks so much for the time, man. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you.